Yo, yo, yo. How's it going? My name is Corbin Ford. You can follow me at Corbin NBA on Twitter. Let me tell you, I love the National Basketball Association, everything about it. And NBA Today gives me the opportunity to talk about it with y'all. The ins, the outs, NBA from all angles, from current hot topics to flashbacks in the NBA's past to literally everything in between. And yes, that includes NBA Twitter. NBA Today is the show for the hoop junkies on hoop ball. Check it out. NBA Today with Corbin Ford. I look forward to talking with y'all real soon. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What can I say, guys, huh? How about that Pistons-Lakers game last night, am I right? Ayo. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't I don't know why I talked myself out of betting under in that second game yesterday, but uh, wow, 158 final total. 158. That's generally the total through three quarters in NBA games this year. Man, that was some ugly basketball. But a winner was crowned. They get the incredible prize of getting completely dismantled by the Clippers. What a prize. What a prize. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, friends. I am Dan Vespers. This is a hoop ball presentation. Hoop ball, of course, chugging along, guys. We're not taking days off. We're not taking breaks. We didn't take breaks during the the shutdown. Why would we take one now? Hoop-ball.com. Latest things going on over at our the site of our benevolent overlords. The great Santino Cocon, one of our good buddies here and one of the folks leading our DFS division, has the free during the playoffs DFS delivery. That's a breakdown of his favorite plays on the DFS card. Corbin Ford, who hosts NBA Today for us here at Hoopball. Has a recap of everything that went on yesterday. He's been doing an awesome job on that. Really uh, strongly suggest you guys check out his work. NBA Today is the name of the show. You can follow Corbin on Twitter at CorbinNBA. C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. And that way you can see when his shows drop. Uh, Ethan Noroff dropped a Lakers pod last night. Mike and Santino had a DFS pod last night. David Bracey and Doug Potts. Had a box score breakdown show last night. That show, by the way, is is taking on a sort of a fresh new look starting as of a couple of weeks ago. It's not exclusively box scores anymore, so that'll be running year-round with more co-hosts in the wings waiting to get started. Really excited. I mean, that that's just on the pod front and then the, uh, the DFS breakdown. These guys are churning, man. Hoop ballers. They're grinding. Please do check that out, hoop-ball.com. All that stuff you can pretty much find on the homepage. It's all kind of in the, the, the main window. And I know I do actually take it upon myself a tiny bit here since there is no full-season fantasy. Uh, that Part of my job on this show that many of you guys have been listening to for a few years is to introduce you to some of the other stuff we got going on uh, when full-season fantasy isn't the main thing, you know, like Corbin's show is about the NBA. It's not fantasy. Lakers show is not a fantasy show. DFS is a great thing to dive into because it's an opportunity to play with a couple of bucks every night, maybe win a little money. 
where you don't have to worry about the full season stuff. So it's not like I'm telling you don't listen to my show. I'm just saying there's other stuff out there that is either equally or even more relevant right now. Uh, quick shout out to our partners over at mybookie.ag. Promo code is hoopball. I had to pause for a second there, make sure I got it right. Promo code is hoopball, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Make sure to use it when you sign up on the third page, the sign-up sheet, their sign-up form that you you sort of work your way through the flow chart. On the third sheet is when you can enter that promo code. You can get yourself a 100% deposit match bonus. You put in 50 bucks, they put in 50 bucks. Put in 100, they put in 100. It's sweet. It's free money to play with, which is a great, great opportunity. Especially if you're going to be wagering for a while, might as well get a, a fat bonus. Again, that's the promo code HoopBall over at mybookie.ag. And let's use that as our segue to start talking about the games coming up later on tonight. About six hours from now at roughly 3-ish, uh, 3.30 Pacific time, I think that first game, Miami and Milwaukee, the Bucks favored by five after they got taken apart by the Heat. And what we saw... And this, I mean, it kills me to say it because I thought the Bucks, I, without seeing what the Bucks' playoff plan was, I thought they had something up their sleeve this year. I thought the Bucks had been working through the offseason, through the regular season, through the shutdown to come up with some set of counters for when teams are just packing the paint against Giannis. And so far... We've seen nothing of the sort. He doesn't. He can't really run pick and roll stuff as the ball handler because teams will just drop back. You know, if he runs it with Brooke Lopez, he's going to pop. He's not going to roll to the rim. So whoever's guarding them just sags back and says, whatever, man. We're not even going to go through your screener, which is Brooke. We're not going to go through it. We're just going to, we're just going to walk underneath it. So I got all these guys ready to help out. I don't know. Listen, I'm, like I've said before, I'm not an X's and O's guy with basketball. I don't understand how all the schemes work and all the counters work. I count on coaching staffs of what I believe to be good teams to come up with this stuff. And after Milwaukee got undressed in the playoffs last year by Toronto, just completely and utterly exposed for having no counter to the, hey, if we have the personnel to just jam a bunch of bodies in the paint and not let Giannis get through that wall and also retreat like the Dickens on transition, what are you going to do? And we still haven't really seen it. I've been habitually reading articles on what the Bucks should be doing against this defense, and the one thing that they all seem to settle on is that there needs to be just a truckload of Chris Middleton stuff. Having Eric Bledsoe around would actually be relatively useful as well. Um... Someone like a Kyle Korver. God, they need they need maximum floor spacing. Basically to punish another team for every inch that a defender sags towards the basket to try to keep Giannis from blowing past them for an easy jam. To keep him from racing towards an offensive rebound. All the things that Giannis does that makes him such an insane freak on the basketball court. His, his size, his length, his athleticism neutralizing those, all of that is sort of a, a cost-benefit analysis where, 
you know, if you do sag off and and wall off the paint, you are trading not being as close to the other guys on the floor. So, uh, not surprisingly, Middleton got a ton of shots in game one, which it almost seemed like it happened by accident, right? Like, it almost seemed like it wasn't the plan, and it ended up just happening that way. This is, they need to be a bit more cognizant. At the very least, they need to be aware of what's coming at them. It's like, I just, I can't, I can't wrap my head around the idea that the Bucks didn't know this was coming. How could they not know this was coming? They had to know, didn't they? So let's see what they come up with in this one. The problem, of course, now, as we look at the line over at my bookie, uh, Milwaukee by five, total of 221, is that looking at game one, Milwaukee is going to try to open this thing up. They have to. The way that they gain an offensive advantage is to get out in transition a little bit. But we saw what Boston did against Toronto yesterday, which was basically they almost didn't go to the glass. They had one guy going for an offensive rebound on almost every possession, and everybody else was in retreat mode. They just decided, look, we're going to get our one good shot on offense, but it's more important to us that we get this thing into a half court. That's what Miami did in their first game. There were still enough possessions because Milwaukee was still trying to run it down their throat, but it ended up in a lot of turnovers for Milwaukee. They made mistakes trying to force things. They didn't get easy buckets. They still shot the ball relatively well. I mean, Brooke Lopez, Middleton, they all they had good games. Giannis did go 6 for 12, so he was judicious about when he was getting his looks, but they missed a ton of free throws. They had 19 turnovers, and they let Miami put up a buck 15 on him, largely because of fouls. So in looking at that game, there are a few things you can take away. Number one, uh, Milwaukee is going to be doing a better job on the boards in game two. I have to believe they're not going to get out-rebounded by 12. Uh, I know the Heat are not a bad rebounding team. Milwaukee is is pretty damn good, though. I mean, Giannis alone accounts for most of it, but, you know, Brooke Lopez, box-out artist Brooke Lopez, they're going to have to do a better job on the glass. Um, the looks they were getting weren't bad, just to sort of put that back into perspective. Milwaukee was getting okay looks but they need to be better they need to have a a more distinct and set plan and they can't turn the ball over the way that they did in game one that one ended at 219 points I think because of Milwaukee attempting to push the pace they're always going to get somewhat close to this total I still think it goes under by a little bit I don't think they let Miami put up about 15 on them again but you know who knows on that front uh, and on the side, I don't know how you watch game one and then expect Milwaukee to win game two by five. I do think Milwaukee wins this game, but I don't think it's by five. So I'd be inclined to take the heat catching five points again because I just I don't see them getting beat up. I don't see them going away in any of these games. They're too they're too sound in all of their principles. And then maybe the biggest key of all is that in game one, the Heat's two big offensive guns, Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic in these playoffs, those guys were both spectacular. They didn't get much from the other guys, but Butler and Dragic had 67 points on 35 shots. They were brilliant. 
Both guys went way, way over their season marks, their career marks in field goal and free throw percent. Neither one of them really turned the ball over all that much. They were just stellar. Jimmy Butler even hit two three-pointers for good measure. So in all likelihood, uh, if anything, and this is the deal with me, for Milwaukee, we haven't seen them make any sort of offensive adjustments. I don't know that they will. I think they're just going to say, look, we're going to try to run, and when we don't, we're going to probably get a three-pointer for someone that's not Giannis. That's probably going to be the way we run our offense. And it worked out okay in game one if they hit, you know, if they even, if Giannis doesn't miss eight free throws, if the team doesn't miss, you know, whatever it was, 12 free throws in, in game one, if they make like six of those and eliminate three or four turnovers, it's they probably win the game by one or two. So they look at this like, look, we we didn't play well. And the things that killed us are things that are fixable. On the other side, you can't just do the same thing over and over like they did against Toronto last year. We saw that. That is the definition of insanity, to do the same thing repeatedly with ex- and expecting a different result. The thing I think Milwaukee does make an adjustment on, this is, this is where I'm putting a little bit of trust in the Bucks. is not a new offensive scheme because they are who they are on that end of the floor. They're a Giannis-led offense, and when teams have the personnel to wall him off, they are a three-point chucking offense in the half court. The thing I think the Bucks do a better job of in Game 2 is figuring out how they want to play defense on, namely, Jimmy Butler, but also you can throw Dragic into that mix as well. And that, you know... Having Eric Bledsoe will help a little bit on that front, but I mean they they can't let Butler put up 40 points on 20 shots. They can't let Dragic put up 27 points on 15 shots. There was too much fouling. There was too much crowding. They were they were daring Butler to drive. That's where he's at his best. It's like they hadn't done any planning for this. I I didn't I didn't get what they were doing at all. I'm, I think there will be some adjustments on that end. And for that reason, I don't think Miami puts up a buck fifteen. I think they end up closer to one hundred five in this game. I think Milwaukee ends up closer, uh, probably between one hundred five and one ten. And so I think I like the under maybe more than either of the sides. Um, but I do think it's close. So give me Milwaukee by a couple points, but not by five in a game where the total ends up about 214. That's roughly my number for this ballgame. And then game two coming up later on tonight. The nightcap is game seven, Oklahoma City and the Houston Rockets. Houston favored by five and a half points. We've flogged this one plenty. We've flogged this series plenty. The Houston Rockets should win this series. Everything says they should win this series. They are the better team on paper, but they are the team making big mistakes when you can't afford to make them, not on paper, in real life. They got a good performance, really good, out of Rob Covington in that last ball game. Everybody basically besides Russell Westbrook played well, and they lost. And I know that Mike D'Antoni was like, well, we couldn't play any worse. I don't think that's true. You know, Harden was was decent, if unspectacular. Covington, House, Tucker, all of their, you know, Covington's solid, but we can lump him into the role players for this discussion. All those guys were pretty good. Jeff Green turned back into Jeff Green for a game. Uh, Westbrook made a lot of his shots early in the ballgame, as we have seen him do before, but had seven turnovers and clanged a bunch of stuff down the stretch, and that's where this thing spun on its head. The Rockets didn't score late. The Thunder did. Chris Paul was, well, sweet vengeance for a, for a moment. Chris Paul was wonderful again. He's been, he's been brilliant 
in this playoff series. He takes a lot of heat for playoff choking. Um, I don't know, man. I think sometimes you can put it on the guys around him. It's not all on Chris Paul. He's still one of the greatest point guards of all time. Super annoying to watch him interact with referees on the basketball court. Um, But, boy, I'll tell you what. I mean, this is... He's doing all the things that we were hoping for when we made him one of our ultra hot guys to get during draft season as mega value falling. I mean, I had Chris Paul on almost every single team, and he is the reason that at the time of the shutdown, almost every one of my teams was in first or second place. Chris Paul. That's what it takes, by the way. Getting someone in the third round, he's a first round guy. If you hit, if you do fine with your other picks and get one of those blended in, your team is going to be hyper-competitive in fantasy. Well, anyway, he's doing it now in the playoffs. He's giving that Thunder team leadership that the Rockets team lacks. For as crazy exciting as Russell Westbrook is on a basketball court, his leadership qualities late in games are horrible. His leadership as a human, I would never question. Far be it for me to question that stuff. I don't know the man. Uh, he seems like he has a good heart, and it seems like all that stuff is in the right place. He's not, I mean, he's not a headache, you know? He doesn't cause trouble for his teams, but things just get so personal and in and one-on-one-y for him late in ball games, where he just, he has to take over. He feels like he has to get his chance to be a hero, and Time and again, he has shown himself not to be a late-game hero because he's not a good shooter. The best late-game heroes are the guys that drill those shots. And the, and teams know that about him. They'll, they'll sag back and make him hit an outside shot. The Rockets' style of play gets funky late in ball games it's why there's so much risk factor with them they could blow you out they could get blown out you just have no idea what's coming on a night-to-night basis the line was always way too big on that last ball game even though we said i th- i uh, for that game on monday i said i think houston wins this game but i don't think they cover the five and a half points well they didn't win the game but if you took the thunder side the way we were looking at you you still would have won that bet. So that's that's the important part there. I mean, we'd listen, it'd be great if we could call the winner every single time, but it doesn't matter. We want to call the bet. We want to call the winning bet every time. And in this one, I legitimately don't know. I had a strong feeling in that last ball game that you were going to get a good game out of the Thunder after they got smoked in the previous one. Teams almost always bounce back from that with a tight ball game or a, or a good performance. But, I mean, you look at this one, and it's the same stuff all over again. What is Westbrook going to do down the stretch? Does Houston just catch fire? Because if they catch fire, they'll win by 20. It won't even matter what the Thunder do, does in the ballgame. They'll just, they'll just blow them out. Or if they don't, are we going to get another tight one? I think if you're looking at just playing the percentages, I would say more than 55% of the time, this is going to be a good ball game. It's going to be a grinder. Look at the under... Game sevens, they love those unders in game sevens. Look at the under and look at the underdog because if nobody's scoring points, it's going to be hard to get more than six or seven up on the opposition. And sure, Houston will go on their runs. That's how they always go. 
Uh, but you got to lean to the under in both games today, and I think you got to lean to the underdog in both games today. Those lines, again, courtesy of our friends over at mybookie.ag. Open up an account. $45 is the minimum deposit. You can put more than that if you like. Uh, Clarion call, by the way. Those that are actually... Hey, pay attention. I'm yelling into the, the microphone now. Pay attention for just a second, folks. Uh, this is outside the normal realm of my promo. Uh, if you've been a hoopball loyalist, if you've been listening to this podcast for two or three years... Hit me up. I may have an interesting giveaway item for you guys. I forgot to mention that earlier in the show. If you've been listening for a long time and, you know, we've been talking on Twitter or emailed or whatever, um, hit me up on Twitter. I want to do it on Twitter. Send me a note at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, and just say something like, Dan, you mentioned something about a giveaway, and uh, I'll hit you up and we'll figure something out, okay? Um, hit me up on that. So we might have something in the in the stockpile for you guys. Speaking of stockpiles, make sure you clean yours with our friends over at manscaped.com. Clean your stockpile with the Lawnmower 3.0. Uh, promo code is HoopBall20. The Lawnmower 3.0, which has been in production for 18 months before finally getting released a couple months ago. And it's a, it's a great piece of work. It's a great item. I, I mean, I don't know what else to tell you guys about it. It's, it's really. Uh, it works fantastically. It's pinch-free. It's got a built-in LED light so you can see what you're working on, um, whether it's, you know, your neck, your back, your your shoulders, your chest. Your, uh, there's below the belt, whatever it happens to be, whatever you're working on. You can also do it in the shower. It's got waterproof technology, a 90-minute battery, so I guess you can shave yourself and an entire family without turning it off or charging it. It's got a charging station, really sleek, excellent product. Use promo code hoopball 20 at manscaped.com, get 20% off and free shipping on your Manscaped order. Okay, quick um, quick recap on what went down yesterday in what, again, will be a, um, you know, we're, we're doing roughly 30-minute pods these days because what the hell else we got to talk about. Boston-Toronto, we figured this was going to be a tight ball game. I really thought Toronto was going to win this game. Um, I think on the pod I said, if I'm taking Toronto, I'm taking them on the money line because I figured this was going to be a game decided by one possession. Which, frankly, you probably, if, if the line says it's going to be a game decided by one possession and you think it's going to be a game decided by one possession, you're probably not betting on it. Uh, I thought the game would be a little bit more high scoring than this. That was uh, the surprising part. Neither team. You know, when we looked at from game one, I was like, look, uh, I don't think Boston's going to play as well as they did in game one. I think they're going to come down a few points, and I think Toronto's going to come up a few points, and they sort of meet in the middle, where in game one, the uh, total was 206, and I thought by meeting in the middle, they might get around 210 or so, which still would have been under the 218 number for this ball game. But they actually did meet in the middle. Boston came down by 10, but Toronto only came up by 5. So uh, the total was actually lower here in Game 2. So that lean turned out to be relatively right. The lean to Toronto on the side turned out to be wrong. Although, I would argue, Toronto was generally in control of this game until the very end. This is the way we've seen a lot of games go in these playoffs. It really does come down to who can execute in the fourth quarter. And in this one, Marcus Smart went nutso. He had three threes in a row. That cut a 10-point Toronto lead down to one, kind of reset the ball game, and uh, Toronto could never really get their offense going in that fourth and final quarter. Looking at the two teams' breakdown again, it's eerily similar to game one, where Pascal Siakam 
took 16 shots to get 17 points. Freddie Van Vliet took 22 shots to get to 19 points. Kyle Lowry, 16 points on 16 shots. And then OG Ananobi and Serge Ibaka both played relatively well. Those, uh, namely, and I think I said it uh, on yesterday's show, I thought Pascal Siakam would play better in this game. But schematically, Toronto did some really weird stuff on offense, like getting switches and then Siakam isolating on Marcus Smart. What are you doing there? Give it to someone else. You've now moved Marcus Smart off of someone. Attack someone else, for goodness sake. Must be out of your damn mind. Boston uh, didn't play all that well in this ballgame, but Toronto just played a little bit worse. This was more or less an ugly ballgame. Toronto um, was frustrated with the foul situation. I don't think they took a single free throw in the first half of this game. They did get a few in the second half. Jason Tatum went a perfect 14 for 14 at the foul line. These tight ball games, the team that shoots better at the free throw line is winning almost every one of them. Boston, uh, they were plus seven, is that right? Plus seven or eight at the free throw line, and you know there's your ball game. Otherwise, things were pretty evenly matched. Rebounding was pretty close. Uh, Boston had more turnovers. Shooting percentages were not all that far apart. I mean, the three-pointers leaned in Boston's favor by a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, if you if you flip the free-throw stuff, you flip the winner of the ballgame. I don't know that it will, but Toronto's hoping that they can lobby their way to, to the free-throw line a little bit more. Uh, I think every game in this series is going to be close. Just watching the way this last one went, you'll probably see a better game out of Kemba Walker next time. Uh, Boston likely plays better. I think Toronto actually plays better in their next ballgame, too. So you might start to see the total trickle up a little bit. Although, you know, we already do have the number on that. The total's down at 214 and a half. I'm, I'm not sure that that's actually low enough yet. Although we're inching up on it, finally. And then, series complete, Denver and Utah. We'll spend more time on this because Boston's up 2-0 on Toronto, but that one's a long way from done. We've seen the way that series can pivot here. Uh, this Denver-Utah series, a, a great example of that. Denver won the opener, Utah rattled off a bunch in a row, and then Denver rattled off a bunch in a row, and Utah, who shot 38% for the ballgame, finally, Denver played a little bit of defense. It took until the last game of the series, or did Utah just stink? Hard to know either way. Uh, I think Denver was finally playing a little defense. I think, honestly, having Gary Harris back just changed the way that they defended people, even if Harris was a brutal liability on offense. But everybody was a liability on offense in this game, except for Nikola Jokic. He's basically the only player on either side that had a positive offensive impact. I guess you could say Rudy Gobert as well, but most of his stuff is, you know, he just finds himself open and then dunks it. Jokic does have to create a fair amount of his own stuff. The one thing we said on the podcast yesterday was, look, if if Jamal Murray is bad, Denver's in really big trouble. And Jamal Murray was bad, but Utah only scored 78 points. I mean, if somebody told me Jamal Murray was going to uh, go 7 for 21, I'd have said, oh, Denver's screwed. And they should be scoring 80, but they did just enough on the other side. Utah couldn't get that... That last bucket, I know Tory Craig almost biffed the ball game for him, uh, but you know a late poke away sealed the deal, and a hell of a series comes to an end in an old-fashioned Ben Wallace-inspired slugfest. Utah, would they have won this series with Boyan Bogdanovich? Who knows? Who knows? 
Would Denver have been, uh, would they have put them away quicker with Will Barton and Harris for the entire series? You can't really make arguments like that. Um, I, I look at both of these teams and I, I feel, I hope that people are starting to trust me in my assessment, which was coming into this series, I basically said, and it was after game one, people were like, what an exciting ball game. I was like, yeah, that was an exciting ball game, but one of these teams is just going to get eviscerated by the Clippers in the next round. The Clippers are such a well-oiled machine compared to these two teams right now. Uh, I'm very curious to see how the Clippers square up the Nuggets because the Nuggets scorers are in the positions on the floor where the Clippers are not at their, they, they don't have their superstars. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, those guys are generally dealing with people either at the two, the three, or the four. And Denver's best guys are their center and their point guard. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and flip the order around. You might see the Clippers put Paul George on Jamal Murray if Patrick Beverly is unable to go in this series. I don't know how they would, uh, can they really let Lou Williams and Reggie Jackson try to slow down Jamal Murray? You let him wake up and you saw what Denver was able to do on offense. Meanwhile, at the center position, you're going to see a lot of Ivica Zubats because Montrez Harrell is just too small to deal with Jokic. He's just not tall enough. Um, so the Clippers do have something of an answer there, but, you know, Jokic is going to get his. If he if he can do this to Gobert, he can certainly do it to Ivica Zubats. It's the other end of the floor for Denver where I'm really concerned because they didn't play defense for six of these seven ball games. Do they, if, they can, if they can't slow down the Jazz, I don't know how they plan on slowing down Kawhi Leonard and then Paul George, and then Lou Williams, and whoever else the Clippers run at them. I I, I think this is going to be... Uh, I don't think this is going to be a particularly well-matched series. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the line would indicate that. Clippers are favored by eight opening number for tomorrow's game. Toronto, by the way, a one-point favor. That's a, that's a pick em. Toronto, Boston, tomorrow, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. Clippers favored by eight. I don't know how you can lay that giant number, but... Yeah, they uh, they probably do beat them. I guess the question, uh, if you're going to bet that ball game, is does Denver go back to trying to just win it with offense? Thinking defensively, if this gets into a defensive slog, the Clippers are going to cream them. So maybe they're going to try to out and get some easy stuff. Who knows? I don't know. That's why it's nice to, to do some in-game stuff on these contests. So, first round is finally done. We are officially done with the first round. We can move on to round two. Houston and L.A., Houston and the Lakers, excuse me, on Friday uh, is the, the last round two series to get going. And to wait on the, or uh, excuse me, Houston or Oklahoma City and Los Angeles. Winner of that game tonight will take on the Lakers on Friday. Apologize. I was looking at a uh, projected schedule based on uh, some, the uh, the bracket that I had put together, but uh, OKC still very much could be advancing to that round. I think if you're the Lakers, you probably want the Thunder. Not necessarily because they're not the better team, but they're just easier to game plan for. You can come up with a game plan, you can kind of run it. Houston's so weird as a team. They're just anyway. If you don't if you don't have Lou Gens Dort, what are you gonna do? <laughs> All right, um, in terms of actual um, news, there isn't really anything going on. I know, big buildup, big letdown. Have a wonderful Wednesday, everybody. That's it.
have a great day. Uh, we'll get back at you. We'll do some more recaps and betting stuff on tomorrow's show. Again, our promo codes, if you, in case you forgot, HoopBall at MyBookie.ag. Please do open up an account over there. A big deal for us here at HoopBall to get you guys involved in our, our betting platforms. Uh, and HoopBall20 with our buddies over at Manscaped.com. Enjoy the products. Enjoy our partners. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow, everybody. So long. This has been a HoopBall presentation.